Welcome to the Bread and Cup podcast hosted by Corey and Shauna Burris. They are a former pastor, a college teacher, and Pacific Northwest coffee lovers. Mostly, they are Jesus followers who find themselves in lots of interesting conversations with non-Christians, former Christians, wondering Christians, and young adults from all kinds of backgrounds. And we want to invite you into those conversations. The Bread and Cup podcast is a place for real talk about the Bible, life, and what it takes to move beyond the easy answers. So let's grab a cup and join the conversation. Welcome to the Bread and Cup podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Shauna. And tonight we are eating these chocolate chip cookies that I'm a little mad obsessed with. Our daughter, our middle daughter is perfecting her kitchen baking skills. And uh, so she found this way to make chocolate chip cookies where you roll them and then you freeze them before you bake them. You refrigerate them. them so that the butter gets all nice and hard and then they, they bake perfectly. So oh my gosh. In the middle. They're really good. It, it isn't, I mean, yes. Like the refrigeration process definitely did make them like the perfect amount of sort of chewy with the crisp edges. It's everything you love in a cookie. But she has perfected that cookie dough from making it as a snack. It is perfectly salty. So good. And um, I'm drinking it with some of Trader Joe's organic ginger turmeric tea, which I adore. It's, I drink way too much of it. Boxes and boxes of it through the winter. It's exciting stuff. It is. You don't like that kind of tea. No. That's well, okay. I love you anyway, honey. I will say we're going into the fall, so now we're going to have lots of like teas and and like too many sweets around the house yeah, and it's like be bad. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be a bad winter for all of that, but that's okay. Nope. You say nope. You say bad. I say delicious. It's all right. That's okay. So what are we talking about today, Corey? Uh, today we are talking about, uh, the, the idea of, well, I'll call it total depravity. And yeah, what's you the, really like that term. Well, I remember hearing it in college and total depravity is something from, uh, a Calvinist point of view. So if you're a Christian and you grew up in the church, there's Calvinist and Arminian and, yeah. um, one side, one of the tenets of, um, Calvinism is a, there's like, there's like this anagram that kind of walks down and you, you know, each letter represents. And I all, the only one I really remember a lot was the idea of total depravity. And growing up, I, um, I loved the concept of it. Um, but we've talked a lot in the past about, um, your worth and your value. But the idea, um, is that we are nothing without like we are nothing outside of God kind of a thing. Sure. We have no value. And we've talked about that on here before about that. We believe that you do actually have value. Yeah. And so, but I still like the concept of total depravity, um, but within certain contexts. And we were talking about this the other day and we were talking about the balance between total depravity and humility and what's the difference between those concepts and how does that um, play out in our lives? So, like, yeah. if you do have value, how do you still find value and identity within Christ if you're a Christian? Or, or how do you find, how do you keep stay humble in the midst yeah. of all of that? Because it's not either I'm nothing or I'm God. And that's kind of what it gets distilled down to, right? right. Either I'm a total worm, unworthy of anything, or... I am basically God. And and yeah. really we don't believe either either of those things. 
But it's easy to embrace the idea of I am nothing, I am worthless, but God pulled me out of, I mean, and, yeah. and there are, there is terminology in the Bible about God pulling us out of the, you know, out of, out of the depths of despair, yeah. if you will, or whatever it is. But feel free to check out our brokenness episode. It's one of the yeah. first five, <laughs> if you want to hear a little bit more about that concept. So that, that idea I think is good, but it, um, but, or, or that idea exists. Yeah but it's not necessarily who we are. And so how do we embrace well, and have perspective on on the idea of who we are in, in light of what we're talking about? Yeah. And so, of course, because we had this conversation, then, you know, I go into, you know, nerd, let's go dig around in that mode. And so it linked to the idea, you brought up the term when we were first talking about this, woe is me. And I thought, oh yeah, that's a really, um, because I grew up almost entirely assembly of God with a little, um, Lutheran, you know, like Midwest Lutheran thrown in, not Calvinist. Yeah. So uh, that. But I grew up Baptist, which is Calvinist. And so right. that's. Yeah. Cause yeah. you toggled between right. Baptist, non-denom right. and, and AG. We met at an AG school, but I was like, my mom. Um, my mom became a Christian. Um, we started attending a Lutheran church and then sort of pretty quickly switched to assembly of God. So I'm not Calvinist. And so for me, that total depravity term is only familiar, um, because of you and your affinity for that language. It doesn't really have any personal link, but the woe is me language totally. Mm. Um, and so when you brought that up, I thought that is really familiar. This the idea of, um, especially for me, at least I felt like I heard it so often, like in worship songs that, um, yes, sort of almost, and you know, maybe all of those worship, um, songwriters and lyricists were slightly Calvinist and the age, you just didn't care. I'm not sure, but, but that language, that woe is me idea definitely showed up. Well, amazing grace, right. Who saved a wretch like me. Um, yeah. Although, given the author who, right. who was a slave slave ship captain, like I can understand why he would pick up that language. But but even as as you sing it, like I think a lot of people it resonates with them, yeah. right? Because we do feel wretched, or we do feel like lesser than. Totally. And I think well, and we make poopy choices sometimes, and those consequences are real right. uncomfortable. And so it's. It can be understandable to identify with the choice. Like, so you're making, instead of saying, I, an image bearing God loved person made a sinful choice and that choice was really ugly and it pushed me further from God and it hurt people, ergo, not the right choice. But then you take that choice on as an identity marker, right? Not just, right. and we've heard our son in particular um, uses this language. Like you'll say, hey, bud, that, that attitude, that tone of voice, not okay. And it instantly turns into not, oh, mom and dad said my tone of voice was not okay. I should probably change my tone of voice. It's, I'm just terrible and everybody hates me and I'm the worst. And or, then stomp, stomp, stomp. Or we get defensive out of it, right? Which is yeah. what a lot of people do. And we go, well, I'm not, I'm not, 
I'm not this or I'm not that. You must be, you must be, by correcting me on one thing, you're turning me into this, all of this yeah, other thing. Not a care. And so for us, the language we tend to use is, right. this is not about your character. This is about a choice you made. Right. And we need to make a different choice. Your character is that of kindness. Your character is that of love. But you're not behaving in line with the character we know God is building in you. So like, let's just... Well, and I think that, and so, yeah. yeah, and I think that the idea behind that is context, right? Sure. And and, and this is the thing for me that the idea of total depravity, I think, is is wrong. But the idea of depravity is good in light of who we are comparing to. Sure. Right. And I think that that is where I. Um, I struggle with the idea of humility and I think that there is good that can come out of going, you know what? I need to learn from this. Yeah. I need to like, God has something to teach me because I'm not quite there yet. Does yeah. not mean I'm a piece of crap that right. doesn't, that, that is, that has no value. It means that, Oh man, in comparison to who God is, yeah, I have a long, long way to go, yeah. and that's okay. That that's not a yeah. Bad like that's thing. actually kind of the point of it all, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think and that yeah, yeah. Go that's ahead. exactly what that's exactly what I found out because again, that term "woe is me" when when you and I were first having this conversation really resonated, and so that's where I sort of started looking, and I found Isaiah six five, um, where you know the prophet is having a moment and woe is me. I cried for I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among people with unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord almighty. Uh, and this is when I, Isaiah is having a vision um, of the throne room and you know, there's, yeah. there's the, the fiery a seraphs, I think. Oh goodness. Apologies to true Bible nerds who would know that straight off. Um, but the lamps and the, you know, sort of the attendance, I know that part is better language. And so his instant reaction is this woe is me. And if you take only that verse six, five, woe is me. I am ruined. I am unclean and I live with the unclean. Ah! And that actually fits with the concept of total depravity taken just as that is, right? Right. I mean, that's definitely identity language. I am, it's not just I have, right? it's I am, that's identity language. But you have to finish at least the verse, which is, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then we really can't understand that if we don't look at what God's response is to that, right? Because it's humans can feel and think the way we do. It's not always on. Right. So this is his response. So what is God's response to these words? Because if we believe we're image bearing, then what God says about us and how God responds to us matters infinitely more than how we view ourselves. Do you want to do God's response or do you want me to keep going? No, keep going. Because you okay. wrote this all down. So yeah. I want to hear so you out here. God's, God's response to this cry does God agree with him? Oh yeah, that's true. You are, you are, your identity is unclean and your identity is part of an unclean tribe. 
Yeah, let's just smite you. Rem remember the Thunderbolt discussion, which is actually Thor, so that was a mixing of um, religions. But no, that's not what God does. Not even close. God, God, you know, basically commands that Isaiah's lips are touched with a coal from the altar, and then God calls. He, he is then clean and God calls Isaiah as an emissary. So look what God does. Like this is, this is actually not a small thing. Isaiah has a vision where he's in God's presence. He feels the weight of the glory, the kadosh, right? And then he's like freaking out. I, identity, am ruined. I suck. God's response is, oh baby, you don't, you don't suck. Actually, you're on my team and I'm going to trust you to speak for me, but you're a little dirty. So like, let's just give you a little bath. A bath isn't an identity thing. If someone came to me and said, I am a, I don't know what would be an identity thing that would be fixed. Um, for me, I am a woman in my forties. That is my identity. That is right. a pretty fixed piece of who I am. If I said that to someone and they're like, oh no, honey, you're not, you're actually this. We just need to give you a bath. Like that's not how that works. You can give me all the baths you want. I remain a woman in my forties. That is my identity. But God makes this distinction in what Isaiah is seeing. Isaiah takes on his, his dirtiness as an identity. And God's like, nope, nope, nope. Let's clarify. I'm not saying you're not unclean. I'm just saying that's not your identity. Let's go ahead and wash you out. My identity for you is as an emissary. God then commissions and calls him, which is right back to the beginning of Genesis, right? What are we? We are to be his hands and feet, the one that tend, you right. know, metaphorically tend the garden that he's created. We are to work in his stead. That's exactly then what God reaffirms. No, your identity is to work in my stead. I was like, yeah. But, and that, and that is, um, and that is where we sit, like, as a church culture that we have um, messed up, I think, in a lot of yeah. ways, is looking at it as how God, um, we, we wrestle yeah. with this idea of needing to pull people down to validate God. And I'm like, but God's already up. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you don't, you don't have to pull people off of the, the pedestal that they are on to tell them that they need Jesus or that they need yeah. God. They can yeah, stay up there. God's already above them. It doesn't yeah. matter. You're right? arguing like, about, oh, they're standing on a park bench Okay, but he's in the hot air balloon that's outside of the atmosphere. Like, right. it's cool if they want to stand on a park bench. Right. Yeah. And he's not exactly. threatened by that. He isn't, no. he, isn't, he isn't lessened by that. He's actually, and we've talked about this before, he's actually, I'd say God is glorified by the fact that that person is, is in a better place. But we, we I think some of it, sometimes these things come out in terms of our own insecurities of people yeah. around us that are... Um, are do amazing things. There yeah. are people that have gifts that are, we tell our kids all the time, you know, like 
you're not the best singer. You're not the best this. You probably, player, you're not you the probably best, yeah. never will be. That's and okay. that's okay. Like That doesn't the, mean you're not a soccer player or not a singer or not a... Right. It doesn't mean you're you know, not great at one Awesome of those baker. Things. Please keep baking those cookies, Kim. Right. Yeah. So, so um, I mean, I still love the concept of depravity because it, it to me, it's about perspective. But if you don't have the right pers- perspective on what you're talking about, like yeah. if it's perspective between man, between comparison us, between people, not it's not good. depravity is a bad thing to teach. Comparison yeah. between us and God, yeah, depravity is. Well, it almost becomes a moot point. Right, exactly. Like, well, of course. You know, of yeah, course like, we're not as good as the great, amazing right. creator of all things, right? Right. And it would so, be like it would be like getting in a bake statement statement ba- um battle with Jeff Bezos. Like I we we live near Seattle, right? Like I'm I'm just not going to. Like it doesn't that doesn't mean I'm I heard poor. bake statement and I was like, why is Ooh, Jeff Bezos make baking well, okay. he might have a really great bake statement too. We don't know. Have you asked? I don't know. I guess I'm just, I'm trying to like quantify it in something that, that feels very tangible, right? Or right. that, you know, it's, it's silly. We can stand in our neighborhood and compare our house to the other houses in the neighborhood or our car or, you know, who's wearing the latest Lululemon black yoga pants on their way to the airport. Um, or we can recognize those comparisons are just damaging. They just don't matter. Right. Like, is our house warm? Does it meet our needs? That's what matters. And why would I even begin to compare it to Windsor Castle? Like, that's nonsense. Yeah. And I think that's that's where we go awry. And actually, you and I, um, this isn't in our notes, but you and I have had a couple conversations more recently about how did this, um, the the idea that how did the evangelical movement become kind of what it is uh, in the sense that there is this like dynamic type A, almost always male, but not always male, um, dynamic type A speaker preacher, that's the leader um, of, you know, perpetually larger churches, especially those are the ones that are considered quote unquote successful, right? And, right. And when really that has next to nothing to do with the original model of what the church was set up to do. And that doesn't mean we're hating on it. We're, we're part of a pretty big church with a very gifted speaker, dynamic type A leader. However, there is a pattern to that. And I right. wonder if some of this propensity to view total depravity, not as an awareness that we cannot and should not pretend that we can even come close to God to, because it's a handy preach tool. It's a handy grip mechanism, I'm, right? It's, have you heard the marketing story? I mean, you're the one in marketing, so you've probably heard this marketing story of like the idea of halitosis. Nobody really cared about it. And then like Listerine uh, basically yeah. came out with a series of ads that like showed people with this like green cloud of stinky breath and then pitched themselves as a solution and like people didn't care. And then suddenly it was like a whole thing. Yeah, we were self-aware of this thing. Something that, that hadn't... I we mean, all had and... Right, like yeah. people probably have always had that stinky breath. Right. And I mean, all about like, yes, please, good oral care. But I, I feel yeah. like there is an element of not the 
Calvinist perspective of humans cannot attain God's status, which is how I understand right. the Calvinist perspective on to total depravity. Please, Calvinists or you know MDiv holders, please come comment, correct us, adjust us. We really do want to learn. We know we don't have this down um, if we're misspeaking. But I, it, it smacks of that a little bit to me, the idea that well, if you need to go into a city and gather up a rally where you're going to preach for, you know, seven nights in a row, and you really need to make people like buy that product you're selling. It's, it's the, yeah, it's the idea of urgency and, and, and creating a need, right? It's why somebody stands on the corner and says the end is nigh, Right. And, and we aren't trying to talk about end times here, yeah, but, but like, be careful because it is 2020. So don't say true. that so loudly. <laughs> yeah. But you know, like it's why, it's why, you know, you see, you know, you're, you're a sinner on signs and we go down to, yeah. you know, we go down to a stadium that watch, we used to, baseball game and you see people standing on the corner. And I remember standing there, we were, we were meeting with some of our foster families. We were taking to a baseball game and, um, oh, I was there so early with our kids and we had to hand out all the tickets to everybody. Yeah. And uh, we're standing on the corner. And it's like this common place where everybody's walking through. So there's a guy that stands at every sporting event in Seattle. Yeah. And he has like four speakers. He's like carrying around these big, huge speakers. And it's wow. super loud. And it is, he gives this, you know, you're a sinner. You know, you're going to hell. You need Jesus. Turn or burn messaging. Yeah. And, and I remember standing there and our oldest daughter, um, and this was about a year or two ago, I think she was, had a lot of questions. She was at yeah. that formulative point in her relationship. She's just a deep thinker. And she was a deep yeah. thinker. And she goes, dad, like we're Christians. What is what that guy's saying? Like what we believe too? <gasps> And so yeah. it opened this conversation to have with her of like, well, he views everyone as total crap, right? Yeah. And needing to be, quote unquote, redeemed. And there is yeah. language like that in the Bible. Yeah, we, but, we do. But we are bought with a price. Like that's a... Yes. Yes. But it's, it has to do with our sin, not with our person. Right. And, yeah. and, and having that conversation with her and saying, it, and, and when you, and how that person probably lived within all moments of their life of like, man, I, I have to go out here and do these things. I have to get people saved. I have to do yeah. all of this stuff to redeem myself from the things that I am. Yeah. Instead of saying, man, the things that I am is, are good. And I have, I have more. I, I, yeah. I can be I don't better. always use them well. Right. I so I need better. to get near the right human yeah. to I mean, learn. It's just, yeah. like, it's just like when you're at work, right? When you're at work, I make mistakes all the time. No. Now, if I, if, I, if I just said, well, I'm great. I'm, I don't need any help. I got this all figured out. I didn't actually make a mistake. That's bad, right? That's yeah. wrong. But yeah. on the other side, if I just said, oh, I should never have this job, I don't know what I'm doing, and I don't take my what I learned from those mistakes and, yeah. and apply them, which is really what we're talking about here. Yeah. It's like, how do you apply what we are learning in our lives yeah. to better ourselves so that we become closer to God? Yeah. 
that's to me what depravity is. Yeah. Recognition that, oh man, I made a mistake. And that, that if I continue down that path, I continue to push myself away from what I want to be. And I'm not quite where I want to be. Okay. So that links beautifully to the New Testament story that I, that I found that suits um, sort of this conversation or not suits it informed me on how I thought about this. Um, so in Luke 5, 8, um, it says, but when Simon Peter saw it, meaning um, all the fish coming in from the boat, this is the throw your nuts on the other side story. Um, again, Luke 5, 8, when, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus's feet saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Again, right? This is identity language. I am, yeah. I am something. And so his response to witnessing this miracle is suddenly to, to call out, to name his own unworthiness and then to, in effect, ask Jesus to go away. Like, I, I just can't be near you. You're too good. This comparison doesn't stand for me. So th- there's a um, depart from me. And I mean, that I don't know enough about that culture to know if that's Right. Simply a turn of phrase that means something else, but I take it to mean like, please, please, like I, I just can't even right now. Like I just, I, I can't, I can't be in this situation because I am suddenly aware of something that's immensely distressful or painful. Um, and Jesus's response then is isn't to agree with him. It isn't to affirm that his identity is that of this sinful man who doesn't yeah. deserve yeah, to be pagan. near him. Right? <laughs> Turn yeah. right. Yeah. Downright. As your parents would have said growing up, that's right. You heathen. Right. <laughs> right. Um, long story there. I make it sound like my parents were like, no, no, no. It was, yeah. I'm so, I apologize for clarity. <laughs> I'm just clarifying. You grew up, don't know. Like, you, yes, you grew up in a, in, in a Southern community where that was, a standard phrase for being disobedient. Yeah. Like if you did something at the table, they would say, ah, yeah, he then jokingly, yeah. but also you do have maybe. good parents who love yeah, you much. Exactly. Yes. Just sure. clarifying. It's a good clarity. I, get, I need that a lot. Lots of clarification. Reported to CCS Sean. or, you know, or to department of health or, so, or I don't know. I don't know for parents that live in other States and you you're an adult. Know. I think it's, it's okay. Yeah. It's a different world we live in. To circle back to the Bible, um, Jesus's response was to then tell him not to be afraid. Don't, don't be afraid. And again, now, Peter, you're going to catch men instead of fish. Like, once again, we see this pattern of the human being like, I'm going to say this great old phrase, egads, I'm toast. <laughs> <laughs> I love those old things. Um, it's like Oopsie Daisy from mm-hmm. Notting Hill. It's the yeah. best. Um, again, we return to the word of God that Jesus does not agree with Peter's self-identification, but he loves him and assures him. And then once again, invites him to participate in the task at hand. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God's work is to love people and to invite them to invite them on this journey, to close the proximity, to be near to Jesus, to know what it is to live as a human 
fully formed, fully in line with the image we've been given. And, and in both of these cases, Old and New Testament, the human's like, oh, you're way up there. I'm way down here. And God's like, let's not stress about that. Like, we're going to give you a little bath. And then I'm just going to need you to go ahead and help me with this project because that's what you're made to do. And ultimately, like when you think about it, that is the idea behind discipleship. It is not to correct and to tear down people yeah. so that they don't do it again. It is right. to actually, it is not shame-based. It is actually to change behavior based off of, of example and an inspiration, yeah. right? Like the most effective leaders out there and the best way to help people walk or in this case, get closer to God or wherever you are in your life, right? Like well, no matter what you're talking about is to actually pick people up and say, sometimes we fall yep. and say, and that's okay. Let's clean you up and let's do it again. And let's do it the right way, yeah. right? Like you look at that in sports, you yeah. look at that in, in everything. Um, and depending on where people are at, we also get the opportunity when you're in authentic relationship to say, wow, you've, you've tried that five times the same, the same way. How is that going for you? Right. And when their answer is terribly, I just don't know what to do next. You can say, well, let's, let's just do this together for a little while. We do that with our kids all the time. Right. It's okay, guys, when I ask you to do the dishes, it doesn't work out that well. How about we all do the dishes together? So, and then I'm intentional about verbalizing the pieces that they tend to miss. Like, oh, hey, look, now we're done with putting everything in the dishwasher. I'm going to go ahead and wipe the counter off because we've butcher block counters. If you leave the water on there, it's going to ruin it. Yeah. So like, we're just going to go ahead and wipe this off. And I don't yell at them and I don't shame them and I don't tell them they must be, you know, terrible children for forgetting to wipe off the counters. You demonstrate it, you talk about it, and then... You give them an opportunity to practice it. And that's what discipleship looks like. It's not, hey, I've got it all figured out. It's, oh, I've done that before. So how about we do that together until that's familiar? And I'm doing that to this, to somebody who is learning something I don't know how to, that I know how to do. Well, at the same time, I'm hanging out with somebody who knows how to do stuff that I don't yet know how to do. And and so then they're the ones saying to me, oh yeah, it's okay, Shauna. I you clearly don't know how to do this. How about we just do it together for a while? Yeah. Right? If and that might be, you know, you and I, we've we've put it on Instagram a fair amount that you and I've both been working on new forms of prayer discipline that you know we, I think we've both had a what would amount to a personal prayer life um for as long as we've known each other. For me it started in junior high. Um so my nearly my entire life, but it hasn't always it, how it's been a discipline in my life has ebbed and flowed over the years. And more recently, um, I've been really intentional about using the Lord's prayer and using, um, breath prayers. And it's a, it's a new way of praying. It's not that familiar to me. Um, and a new way of sort of using scripture to, to do those things. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I, I have to practice it. It also means I've read a couple books that talk about that. And I've looked at what other people are doing. And I ask our friends who are, you know, have more robust prayer lives than we do. 
How do you practice this? What does it look like when you do this? How do I know if it's working or not working? Um, and you don't do that because you are believe yourself to be a terrible person that doesn't have a very good prayer life, but because you want to grow, right? Yeah. Well, I, and mean, I think there's a. I think that there's yeah. a. I think that there's a learned idea there that oftentimes we think the only way to drive people to change or to change within ourselves is to be at the lowest point. Yeah. And that oftentimes is not the best place to make the turn. Sure. Um, and so. Well, yeah. And I mean, certainly there's moments where, where despite our faith or simply because life is what it is, things, things are hard. Um, and that can drive us to new habits of prayer. Um, but sometimes the relentless, just the relentless, um, grief of life can drive us away from it too. And if that's the case and that, you know, um, has in part informed this for me, it's given me an opportunity to break out what, um, of what was really comfortable. I was really comfortable in my prayer life. It wasn't that it wasn't dynamic. It wasn't that it didn't, wasn't consistent enough. It wasn't that I didn't feel like it was effective necessarily. It wasn't like, Oh, this is terrible. I need to be a better Christian. It was more just like, wow, these habits are so familiar that I, that I don't know. I don't know that it feels like discipline anymore. Mm. And, and so there, there might be a better, there might be something more that I could learn. There might be something more that this could add to how things are done or how I understand God. He's, I, I'm not going to get my head around him in this lifetime. So we may as well like at least examine him from a different perspective once in a while. And to me, that's where it gets back to the idea of humility of like, we don't have this all figured out. We are trying mm -hmm. to navigate this. Um, we are looking for um, ways and being teachable in yeah. ways that will draw us closer in relationship to each other and closer in relationship to God. Yeah. Um, and I don't have to look at myself as a, you know, woe is me no. to get there. Yeah. Right. I just have to realize that I'm not there and that's okay. Yeah. I'm working towards getting there. And that, that there is the goal. There may never be a, attainable. No. And that's okay too. And that's where the bought with a price thing comes in. It's, right. it's not, I feel sometimes like we still behave, um, we meaning the evangelical church, uh, still behave or contemporary Western, Western Christians, this may be more accurate. Uh, like there's some sort of point system mm. running. We've talked a couple times on this about, we've referenced the good place. I feel like, and maybe um, that it's a meritocracy. And I think that simply the nature of we are living in the U.S. Uh, so that might just partly be our culture. Uh, the U.S. is fairly um, merit-based, or they like to believe that we're merit-based. Um, I also think it's maybe a little bit of that outcropping of the the early evangelical movement, right? That idea of like, you are nothing, so come come be pious, the Puritan roots even, right? There's there's these things that may or may not have played into that. But for me, there is there is such beauty in knowing that once I've decided, <laughs> it's like that old song, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. 
Do you remember that old song? Yes. Oh, I, I love thought it. you were going to bust so into it. No, I, I thought about it for a hot second and then I decided I'm not going to. Um, that once I decided this is what I was doing, very much like when you and I decided to get married, um, then there was safety in that. Like this isn't about me earning God's favor or a place with God. Like he, he, we're in this together. He, he says he loves me. He says he wants to be in a relationship with me. I find that he's trustworthy. And so I'm willing to accept that stance and that his response is, it kind of doesn't matter how much you screw up. As long as you're wanting to follow me, we're in this together. The freedom that gives me to to look around. Like it isn't about one misstep and I'm out. One, one misspoken word, one wrong idea, one failure. And suddenly I'm, it's perfection or nothing. Perfection doesn't even come into it. It's right. Hey, I, I like you and I just want to hang out with you and I want you to be more like me. And so if we hang out, that's going to happen. You'll never actually be like me, but let's just hang out. And th that to me is the most incredible beauty of the way that God responded um, to Isaiah and the way that God responded um, to Simon Peter. And then, of course, we saw this, you know, it's, it's throughout scripture that it's, you're taking on an identity that you don't need to. How about your identity is just my friend or my child, my chosen and like, let's just not worry about perfection. Let's just walk this out together. Yeah, that's good. And I, I very much appreciate that. I do too. And it makes me rethink the idea of um, where does humility and depravity come into it? Like, right? How do we view our? How do we? How do we view ourselves in light of who God is? Right. And God is not there lording himself over us and saying, be more like me. You know, like he's saying, no, come along. Yeah. This is okay. Come, come be like me. Yeah. It's going to be great. Yeah. yeah. You're going to like this way better over yeah. here. Let's do it this way. So it's good. It is good. As always, we would love to hear what you think about this. Um, if you have prayer requests or ideas or corrections, uh, we love to learn and we know we don't have it all right. So you can find us always at Bread and Cup Podcast on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, breadandcuppodcast.com. Uh, feel free to send us an email or, of course, um, find us in our DMs or on our comments. Till next time. To join the conversation, like and subscribe, then find us on Instagram at Bread and Cup Podcast. You can also find us at our website and other social platforms linked in the show notes.